Welcome to the American Valor Podcast. The Bob Feller Active Valor Award Foundation is the unique intersection of Major League Baseball and the United States Navy and Marine Corps, representing the 37 Baseball Hall of Famers who served in World War II, led by Chief Petty Officer Bob Feller. My name is Nathaniel Cameron. My name is Tyler Buckholtz. And my name is Colin Kirk. We represent the Bob Feller Active Valor Award Foundation. On the American Valor podcast, we search for people who display American Valor. These individuals represent our four pillars of citizenship, service to one's country, sacrifice to one's goals, and legacy to future generations. We'll find their stories and bring them to you, stories you want to hear. Today, we have the pleasure to be joined by the 70th Secretary of the Navy, the Honorable John H. Dalton, a native of Louisiana. He graduated with academic leadership distinctions from the Naval Academy in the class of 1964. Serving in the Navy from 1964 to 1969, he was a submarine officer who attained the rank of lieutenant while on active duty. He was later promoted to lieutenant commander in the Navy Reserves. Secretary Dalton served as the 70th Secretary of the Navy from July 22nd of 1993 until November 16th of 1998. Mr. Secretary, it's a privilege to have you on the American Dollar Podcast. If you would, please tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm glad to, and I'm delighted to be on. And I'm a big fan and supporter of the Bob Feller Act of Valor Foundation, and uh, pleased to do anything I can to be supportive of that organization. But uh, I was born in New Orleans, On December 13, 1941, I joke with people that the Japanese heard I was coming and bombed Pearl Harbor. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, we moved to Shreveport when I was about three years old. My dad was a railroad man who had an eighth grade education, and uh, he married my mother shortly after she finished high school in in Minden, Louisiana, and uh, I uh, was showered with love from the day I was born. I have an older brother and sister, a sister 10 years older and a brother six years older, and they are very supportive of everything I have done or tried to do. Uh, I I think my parents thought I was... uh, thought they were through after having two children and then I I showed up. (laughs) Uh, But uh, I was a pretty good athlete and I had seen my parents uh, struggle to put my older brother and sister through college. And uh, I was, uh, my goal was to be, to, to win an athletic scholarship to play college football and uh that was my goal uh the er, early in my life i started hearing about my uh uncle roy who was a navy pilot in world war ii and uh he won the navy cross which is the highest award that that the Navy can give you. It's only surpassed by the Medal of Honor, Congressional Medal of Honor. And uh, I uh, wanted to go to the Naval Academy all all the way through 
high school. And then when I was a sophomore, I learned that uh, due to a football injury that the doctor told me I could forget about athletics. And so, I, you know, I was devastated by that. And uh, we had an inspirational speaker speak at my high school, and uh, he said that he wanted his son to go to the U.S. Naval Academy because he was convinced that was the best overall education a young man could get. Well, that was, I said, aha, that's for me. And I went home from school and told my brother I wanted to go to the Naval Academy. And the next morning when he got to the office, he wrote our congressman and asked for a application package for me. And uh, I didn't get the appointment my senior year. And so I went to LSU for a year. And that was a blessing in disguise uh, because I was 17 when I finished high school. And, uh, and that extra year of maturity really helped me. And I was, you know, I never would have known what fraternity life was like. And we have the world, you know, the national champion football team playing. Billy Cannon won the Heisman Award the year I was there. And, I, I, you know, I, I was elected to represent the freshman class to the Student Government Association. And anyway, it, it was a great experience. And, uh, then I got, I, you know, my next door neighbor knew I wanted to go to the Naval, still wanted to go to the Naval Academy. And she said, Congressman Overton Brooks, who was our member of Congress, uh, has breakfast at the door, at the drugstore where she worked when they're on recess. And he comes in there every day. And, and she said, I'll let you know when, when he comes. And I mean, when he's going to be there and you can come up and and tell him why you want to go to the Naval Academy. So I did, and I promised him that if he gave me the opportunity to go to the Naval Academy, that, you know, I would not disappoint him. And so uh, I, he gave me the principal appointment, and I went to uh, the Naval Academy uh, in the class of 64, as you said, and I, I loved my time at the Naval Academy with the exception of, most of my plebe year, which was, a, you know, is, is a different challenge. And I was, uh, I was, uh, I did well at the Naval Academy. I was uh, the deputy brigade commander, which is the number two ranking position at, at, at Navy. And uh, I was selected for a, a foreign exchange cruise. Uh, with the Royal Navy, which was a great experience, and I flew to Singapore and served on three three different ships uh, in the Royal Navy, an aircraft carrier and a uh, commando marine ship and a, and a minesweeper and, and a cruiser, and uh, it was it was a great experience. And then I ended up getting the appointment. To uh, I, I really enjoyed my time, and I was selected to compete for a Rhodes Scholarship for five of us, and none of us got this Rhodes Scholarship. But, you know, after that competition was over and I was not selected, 
I then applied to the nuclear power program and uh, had my interview with Admiral Rickover and and was selected. And, uh, and you know, I enjoyed my time in the Navy and served on the last diesel electric boat the Navy built before I uh, entered the nuclear power program. And uh, I, I really liked the Navy, but I had a, a devastation uh, in a, of a family tragedy when I was serving on the USS John C. Calhoun out of, out of Charleston in that my uh, sister's oldest daughter died when she was at camp uh, right before we were about to leave to go on a patrol. And I went to the commanding officer and I said, Captain, uh, I'd really like to go home to be with my family during this uh, tragic loss we've had. And he said, look, I would love for you to be able to go, but you know, we're deployed in three days and I can't replace you in three days and you can't go. And I, I understood that completely, but I thought to myself, this is not the kind of uh, family life I want to have for the rest of my life, even though I was a bachelor at the time and didn't marry until 1971. But I decided to get out of the Navy and after five and a half years and uh, applied to Wharton, got an MBA at University of Pennsylvania, and Margaret and I married. That, that was in January of, of 70 that I I started, and I, I had, in uh, the next year in January 71, we married, and I had one semester left. I went through the summer and had one semester left uh, when we married, and then I joined Goldman Sachs after graduation, and uh, I really thought that was going to be my career, uh, but uh, in July of 1975, we were living in Dallas, and President Carter came to speak, or he was then Governor Carter, who was running for president. And, uh, you know, he was the least likely winner. I mean, he had less than one name, 1% name ID when, when I met him. And, you know, it was a crowded field, not quite as crowded as we have right now, but you know, there were eight or 10 candidates and they were all better known than he was. And I sat next to him during lunch and we had a lot in common. He was, we were both Southerners, both Naval Academy graduates, both submariners, both interviewed with Rick over and we just hit it off. And I said, well, governor, how are you going to break out of the pack? I said, you know, this is a crowded field and these other folks are, more uh, well-known than you are. And uh, he said, well, I'm going to win Iowa. And the reason I say with confidence I'm going to win Iowa is because I'm a farmer and I'm campaigning full-time. And most of these other guys have day jobs. They're either governors or senators. or And I'm campaigning full-time. And I'm going to go to all 99 district, uh, 99 counties in Iowa, and I speak their language, and I'm going to win, and I'm going to use that momentum to win New Hampshire, and if I can beat George Wallace and 
Florida, the nomination will belong to me, and uh, a Democrat's going to win in 1976 because of the Watergate problem and you know, the problems the CIA had in the Vietnam War and so forth. And uh, that all sounded very logical to me. And then I heard his presidential stump speech, and they're all very good at that. He said, if I ever lie to you, don't vote for me. If I ever make a misleading statement, don't vote for me. And then his closing line was, I want a government as good and as open and as honest and as filled with love as are the American people. And I thought, this is just what this country needs. And I was even more impressed with his Q&A. And it was a not a hostile crowd because it was a Naval Academy Alumni Association meeting. But it was a tough crowd. I mean, they were mostly Republicans and, and they, they had, uh, you know, difficult questions and he handled them well and i went home from work that day and i said margaret i had lunch today with the next president of the united states and and i didn't say i think he might win i said he's gonna win i'm gonna help him and i did and uh i dove in with both feet and uh you know was very active and when he uh was elected he appointed me to be president of the government national mortgage association and uh, I, I, I enjoyed that job. And then later I was a member and then, and then later uh, chairman of the Federal Home Loan Bank Board, which is an agency that doesn't exist. But it's basically the, was the insurer and guarantor and regulator for the savings and loan industry. And so then I... A headhunter approached me when I was serving as chairman of the Federal Home Loan Bank Board and said, uh, we've got this attractive job in San Antonio, and uh, we think you're ideal for it. And anyway, I ended up doing that job, working for a private savings and loan association in in uh, San Antonio. and. Then, uh, you know, I I did did well there and was financially successful. And uh, then some developers approached me and and said, look, you're working for a private company and the CEO is younger than you are and you'll never own any part of this company. And you'll never be the CEO and we're going to buy a savings and loan and, uh, and you can run it. And, you know, you, you will have to sign a guarantee like, like we will for your share of the deal. And, uh, I had to sign a guarantee for a million dollars and I wasn't worth half of that at that time. And, uh, I, you know, I was I was worth around four hundred fifty thousand dollars or something. But I, you know, I signed a guarantee without any reluctance because the economy was booming in Texas, and I remember a Fortune economic forecast that 
said oil prices were going to go from $40 a barrel to $75 a barrel. And instead, they went from $40 a barrel, this was in 1986, to, uh, to $10 a barrel. And the economy in Texas just plummeted. And, and the financial institutions, I think there was one financial institution that survived and uh, mine did not. And that was a tough period in my life. And, you know, I, I was facing potential bankruptcy. And uh, my wife was worried about me. And Margaret said, why don't you go talk to Don Anderson, who is the head of the Ecumenical Center for Religion and Health, which was basically a counseling organization and I did and he said John what's the worst thing that could happen I said Don I could have to declare bankruptcy he said okay let's assume that happens you you've got a degree from the U.S. Naval Academy you've got an MBA from Wharton School of Finance and Commerce you're uh you've got a lovely wife and two great kids he said, you can start over, and the lines, you know, the streets of Texas are filled with people who've declared bankruptcy and have started over. He mentioned John Connolly, who was former Secretary of the Navy and Governor of Texas and Secretary of the Treasury. He mentioned uh, Clint Murkison, who was owner of the Dallas Cowboys. He mentioned Dr. DeBakey, uh, the first heart transplant surgeon in Houston, and and all of a sudden, you know, what had seemed like a disaster to me didn't seem like, you know, there was a silver, this lining in that big black cloud that was following me around. And so, you know, I remember when my SNL failed, I said, was about to fail, I told my kids uh the night before it was going to become public i said look i don't know what i'm going to do but you know i i'm going to work things out with the bank and pay them what i can pay them but i i hope to avoid bankruptcy and you know i got an insurance license and started selling insurance and and then my brother-in-law margaret's brother approached me with, he was working for a private equity company named Mason Best Company. And uh, so I went to work for them. And, and he said, if you, want, if you want this job, I'll recommend you to my, to the senior partner. And I said, yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd love to be considered for it. And so I went to talk to him and he hired me and, uh, then I, you know, I went from that organization to another private equity firm. Mason Best split up, and Best Associates was uh, was the next iteration. And then I uh, got back in the investment banking business, working for Stevens Inc. And then uh, stayed active in the Democratic Leadership Council, which was the more moderate wing of the Democratic Party. And 
Bill Clinton was the chairman of that, so I got to know him through that. And when he announced, I supported him. And he, you know, when he was elected, he appointed me to be Secretary of the Navy, which is the best job in government. I really do think that. And uh, I really enjoyed it. And so, you know, that's, you know, that's a long story, but that that's pretty much you know, I served as secretary for five and a half years and uh, then did some entrepreneurial things. I was president of a fiber optics company, IPG Photonics, which, uh, you know, went, you know, when the bubble burst on the dot-coms, uh, it went through some difficulty, but uh, and we had to lay people off and had to cut I cut, you know, I had a, uh, my salary was cut and, uh, but, but we, you know, we got through it uh, without failing and uh, the company prospered, went public after that and did very well. And uh, so I then went to become president of the Housing Policy Council of Financial Services Roundtable. And that's where I was when I met Peter. And uh, that was a good job. Uh, I did that for 12 and a half years and retired in, in June of uh, 77, uh, I guess. And uh, so I've been retired about two years. And I'm on several boards and uh, Margaret and I are traveling more and enjoying life. So that's a long story, but that's pretty much it. So how do you think your time in the Navy helped you when you went into the private sector? Well, uh, my, you know, I think the Navy teaches you to be accountable. The ethos of the Navy is, accountability and responsibility you're given res more more responsibility than you're given in the private sector at a similar age and you know you're responsible for to make the trains run on time i mean you got you've got a big job and you you learn to lead people and uh you learn to hold them accountable and responsible. And uh, the the Navy was a, a great source of strength for me and taught me a lot about leadership. And uh, I really enjoyed it. So your wife, Margaret, took an active role advocating for improved quality of life for sailors. Please tell us about Margaret's role as First Lady of the Navy and her emphasis on helping the sailors of the Navy, as well as the changes that have been made continue to be made to increase quality of life for sailors? Well, the first time, you know, Margaret, when I got, when I became Secretary of the Navy, they asked Margaret, did she want to be an active First Lady of the Navy Department or just uh, go to cocktail parties and dinners? And, and she said, no, I want to be active. And so she traveled with me everywhere I went. 
typically when we would land at a, a I remember the trip we took to Pearl Harbor and uh, we we landed at a naval station there and uh, and they she went off to with the spouses and they were going to visit Navy housing and the daycare centers and the hospitals and so forth when I was doing my thing with sailors and Marines. And so we came, came back to dress for dinner. We were going to a dinner that night and I said, how was your day? And she said, well, she said, it was not very good. I said, what, well, what was wrong with it? And she said, well, I went to Navy Navy housing, and first of all, first of all, they took me to the Air Force housing, and uh, and she, we were on our way to the Navy housing, and uh, and they she asked how far it was, and they said, well, it's you know, she did. They described where it was, and she said, well, it wasn't in that slum area that we went through and she said they they said to her that was navy housing that we went through and she went to see it and she told me she said you can't let our sailors live like that and we we've got to do something about navy housing and i said well, look Margaret, when i get back to washington i'll schedule a briefing for navy housing and i want you to come and so she did, and uh, we went to a briefing on Navy housing, and uh, and she was there, and uh, the 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 briefer, the the lady that was briefing us about Navy housing, told me she said, I have never met a secretary of the Navy before, and I've certainly never given him a briefing. And uh, and so it, it was scheduled for a half an hour, and it went for over an hour. And uh, you know, we learned what the situation was. And so I went I, and and the per capita. I did some homework, and I learned from that briefing and that Air Force housing had the most per capita uh allowance for housing and under that was the army and under that was the navy and the bottom service was the marine corps and i went to see you know i did some more homework and went asked for an appointment to see the secretary of defense and i went to see him and bill perry was the secretary of defense at the time and he said, uh, I told him, I said, you know, we've got to do something about this. I, I showed him the facts of, 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 as I've described to you what the situation is. I said, we have to, we have to make a change and, and uh, allocate more money for Navy housing and improve the quality of, of living for, for housing. And, uh, 
he listened very carefully and he said, let me review this information and I'll be back to you soon and with a potential resolution. And the next, the, before the, I met with him in the morning and before I left that day to go home, I had a call from the deputy secretary of defense and he said, you have a hundred million dollars additional to your budget for housing over the next two years. And uh, so Margaret had a big impact in terms of uh, changing things and enhancing the quality of life for our sailors and Marines. You once said, Mr. Secretary, the most tolerant people, toler tolerant of thought and differing opinions are generally those with the strongest personal values. These are the people who make the strongest leaders. Can you please speak to the importance of character and how do you think that character is developed? Well, uh, I think, uh, first of all, uh, I, I think I, I emphasize our core values of honor, courage, and commitment and, and leadership with uh, everybody that I met with in, in the Navy. And uh, I, I tried to emphasize the importance of character, treating people with dignity and respect, uh, you know, having your word be your bond and never, ex you know, always speaking the truth and, and being responsible uh, for your actions. And I think that's, I think it's vitally important in any organization and, and, you know, in life. So I have uh, tried to live by those qualities and, and emphasize those with the people I've come in contact with. What is some advice that you would give to a teenager or someone in their 20s who's looking to join the Navy? I, I say, you know, it's really important. And I have had more people that who tell me that, I mean, more leaders of industry t tell me that they learned leadership by serving in the Navy and Marine Corps. I mean, from the publisher of the Washington Post to leaders of corporations, uh, CEOs uh, that have that served in the Navy or Marine Corps, to, to, they will they will tell me that they learn leadership by being being a, 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 a in the Navy and Marine Corps. So. You know, I I, I would rec recommend it highly. I really would. So going back to that, how would you tell, how would you ex describe the difference of going from LSU to going to the Naval Academy for those of us who are in, you know, a traditional four-year school? Well, first of all, 
you know, it was exciting being at LSU. Now, you know, went through Rush, uh, was a, a Kappa Sigma, uh, and was elected president of my pledge class. And I really enjoyed enjoyed that. Uh, but, you know, it was the biggest party school in the country uh, at that time. And, and it's it's in the top 10 today, I'm sure. You know, going to the Naval Academy and being a plebe, I mean, uh, we had parent we had parents weekend at the end of plebe summer, and my parents came to that. But uh, the only time we could date anyone was when we were at, at an away game at a football football game, and, and uh, you know we had maybe, you know three or four away games. And you know, I uh, I I went from plead summer and the day after July fifth, nineteen sixty, to Christmas leave, and we you know we didn't go home any time before that, uh, you know, without going to parties and and that kind of thing and. So the social life then was much more restrictive than it is now, even so. But it, it was a big, big change. I, you know, I tell people going from LSU to being a plebe at the Naval Academy is like your social life was like turning a light off. I mean, it was just, it didn't exist. It really wasn't wasn't much social life then for a freshman midshipman. Returning to your relationship with the foundation, the Bob Feller Active Valor Foundation has been honored for you to be present at our annual award ceremonies and the unveiling of our mobile educational unit during Major League Baseball All-Star Week at the U.S. Navy Memorial in July of 2018. Can you please speak to your, your knowledge and your experience around Mr. Feller and the Active Valor Foundation? Well, uh, I first met Bob Feller in 2002 when I was invited to speak at the National Baseball Hall of Fame. I, I, I knew, I met Dale Petrosky, uh, who was the president of the National Baseball Hall of Fame when I was uh, I, I met him through the Alfalfa Club which is a prestigious club that just has one function a year and it's to have a big dinner party and in Washington and it's, it's fairly selective in terms of those that are invited to be members of the Active Valor, I mean, of the uh, Alfalfa Club. I'm I'm the only Secretary of the Navy. Well, since I, I was elected to become uh, a member of the Alfalfa Club in 1995, I think. And that's the last Secretary of the Navy that they've been 
invited to become a member. And Dale Petrosky was a member, and he uh, he invited me to speak at the uh, National Baseball Hall of Fame when they were honoring all those veterans who had left baseball in World War II or the Korean War to serve. And there were like 20 of them. And uh, five of them came to this dedication of the, the veterans who had left baseball to serve in the Navy and, or Marine or uh, any service during World War II or the Korean War. And it was Bob Feller and Bobby Doerr and Phil Rizzuto and Ralph Kiner and Warren Spahn. And, and Bob Feller and I got a, well acquainted during that time. And uh, I met with him several more times. Uh, one time, Dale Petrosky was going to take him to the Pentagon and asked me to go to make introductions and, and so forth. And, and we did. And, uh, and also, I do a baseball trip every year. And when we were going to go to Cleveland, he met us and also took us to Van Meter, Iowa, where his uh, farm was where he learned how to pitch. And he said, my dad, and we, he, he had sold, his family had sold the farm to somebody else, but, but the, you know, the barn yard and the family house was still there. And uh, he showed me the rubber and the home plate where his dad taught him how to pitch. And uh, he got he and I got to be good friends. And uh, when uh, Peter and Admiral Childs and uh, one other person came to see me when I was working at the Housing Policy Council, the Financial Services Roundtable, and told me they were starting the Active Valor Foundation, I said, "Well, I'll be glad to be helpful." And so I've been involved in it from the time it was started. And I'm, and I'm ha happy to be involved. And at that time, they they only uh, honored a chief petty officer, but, but now they also honor a Marine enlisted man. And they all, always uh, include uh, a major league player who is uh, – involved with the community reaches out to the community to enhance the, the opportunities for for uh, disadvantaged people and uh, all they all always honor a hall of famer as well and i, I think it's a great organization and i'm proud to support it what is the best piece of advice you ever received mr secretary who gave it to you and why was it the best piece of advice that you ever received well, uh, I had two, uh, two pieces of advice. When I was a midshipman, Admiral Charles C. Kirkpatrick was the superintendent. And he used to uh, tell us 
he, he would always tell us when we had a group of midshipmen uh, that he was speaking to, it, whether it was a group of eight or ten midshipmen or a company or a battalion or, or the whole brigade of midshipmen, he would always say, you can do anything you set your mind to do and don't you forget it. And uh, he really beat that into our heads and made us, I mean, he told us that over and over and over again. And he made us believe in ourselves. And I think he was a, a great leader. And the other, the other thing uh, that I, when I became secretary of the Navy, I had some big challenges. Uh, the tailhook scandal had occurred. There was a big cheating scandal in the history, in the the biggest cheating scandal any service academy had had up to that point. There were over a hundred midshipmen involved, and and it, it, that that was a big challenge. The Congress had changed the law with respect to gays in the military and women in combat, which was a big culture shock to the Navy. We were going through a drawdown as a, as a result of the end of the Cold War. And the, uh, the size of the military was being reduced. And as a result, promotion rates were much slower. And in addition to that, that we were going through a base realignment closure, uh, we're closing bases, and that was difficult. And then there was a, a big headline in Navy Times that read, Navy morale at all time low. And uh, about that time, I, I received in the mail unsolicited the timeless traits of leadership from uh, a minister in California by the name of John MacArthur Jr. And I have it in my hand. It's uh, I, it was a lovely framed article on leadership that said a leader is anyone who has someone following him or her. And it says a leader is trusted a leader takes the initiative. A leader uses good judgment. A leader speaks with authority. A leader strengthens others. A leader is optimistic and enthusiastic. A leader never compromises absolutes. And a leader leads by example. Well, uh, I have spoken about that many times, uh, and I have, I, I, I was the only Secretary of the Navy that was ever asked to speak at graduation at the Naval Academy, and uh, when I was in office, I spoke to the class of 1995, I mean, be, be the, but I say speak, I mean, be that commencement address. Uh, typically, the Secretary of the Navy is always there for graduation from the Naval Academy, but he's typically introducing the uh, 
principal speaker or performing some other function, but I'm the only secretary of the Navy that's been given the honor to speak at graduation, to be the principal speaker at uh, commencement address. And uh, I literally worked on that speech for months uh, when I learned I was going to have the privilege of doing it. And uh, I spoke on that topic and I used a Naval Academy graduate as an example of each of those traits of leadership. And uh, it was well received and uh, I've, I've done it many times since then. Mr. Secretary, it's been a privilege uh, for you to join us on the American Valor podcast. We've greatly enjoyed hearing about your career and your service for our nation and the Navy. Is there anything you'd like to share with our listeners uh, before, before we say goodbye? Well, uh, I heard a speaker who was the ambassador to the court of St. James in in other words, our ambassador to England, and we were uh, on a trip. We were it was a path north trip, and uh, we were studying Winston Churchill. And we went. We stayed in a in the the club that he belonged to, uh, and went to his birthplace and went to his. We went, we were in the, we had a dinner in the Winston Churchill war rooms where he used to go with his military leadership during the bombings of, of London. And, uh, and the ambassador said, look, I know that all of you are busy people and you all have a lot of balls in the air, but three of those balls are crystal and they need to be if you break one of those you've got a big problem and they need to be nurtured and uh, those three balls are your family your friends and your faith and I told you earlier that I went through a difficult time and losing my savings and loan association. I mean, I, I thought I was going to have to declare bankruptcy. I didn't, but I lost my job. I had kids to educate. I, I was I was a hurting puppy. And, uh, my family and my friends and my faith got me through that difficulty. And you know, I told you also about my sister losing a child and her family and her friends and her faith got her through that tragedy and and we're all going to have tribulation i mean the bible teaches that and uh i think that each one of us as human beings will have difficult times you know whether it's a business failure or a loss of a loved one or loss of a close friend or whatever, we're all going to have tribulation or crises. And 
I think your family and your friends and your faith help you get through those difficult times. And so that's the other thing that I would want to say is that helped me. And I think, you know, you need to nurture your family. You need to nurture your friends. And you need to nurture your faith and and, and, uh, whatever it is. And, uh, you know, to me, I, I, I... I try to have a strong faith and that's important to me. And, and so that, that's the other thing I would, I would add. Well, secretary Dalton, we thank you for your outstanding service in the Navy and for our country. Uh, We know that ourselves and our listeners are inspired by your longstanding service and commitment to our country. Um, So thank you again for giving us your time today. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to visit with you and I appreciate Todd and Nathaniel and Colin. Is that right? Yes, sir. Thank you very much. And it was, it was nice to talk to you and I, I hope what I've said will be helpful to someone. I certainly think it will be. I've certainly personally been inspired to, to read about your career and from what you've said today. So we really appreciate your time, Mr. Secretary. Great. Great to talk to you. Thank you very much. To our listeners, we thank you for listening. We look forward to our next conversation with Mr. Mitch Harris, the second Navy midshipman to play Major League Baseball. Please subscribe for the upcoming interview with Mitch Harris and follow us at Active Valor Award on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And to learn more about the foundation, please go to www.activevaloraward.org. Thanks for listening.